Nagano Press Studios proudly presents tonight's episode of Tattered Tales, The Hermit and the Automatons. Hello, I'm Joe Wakefield. Tonight's Tattered Tale is the story of an old man's regret and a final confession. Do the ends justify the means? Would you forgive yourself for killing to save others? And what if you were wrong? Enjoy. 1952. An elderly man, Finn, lays on his deathbed, struggling to breathe. After a moment, a priest walks into the room. Thank you for coming, Father. Not at all, my son. I understand you want to give final confession. Yes, Father. I am afraid that if I don't atone for my sins, I will be damned for eternity. I see. Then let us thank the Lord that I made it to you on time. Please, my son, begin. I have lived quite a life, and I've always tried to be a good man. But even I, I want to tell you about the man I killed. 1887. Finn, now in his mid-20s, walks through the wilderness. He's dressed in hiking and camping gear. Despite the fact that he looks tattered by the elements, he wears quality clothing and walks with great confidence and stride. It is clear that he comes from high society. In my youth, I found myself afflicted by an insatiable wanderlust. I was born into wealth and was due to inherit my family's empire once I finished my studies. So naturally, I was putting it off. I wasn't my father and was in no hurry to reveal that to the world. He was a man, chiseled from stone, by a lifetime of experience and struggles. Something that, at that point, I knew very little about. My upbringing was anything but a crucible in which men are forged. I was as soft as linen, and thus far, unfit to lead anything. I set out to see what I could of the world. Three years into my adventure, I stumbled upon the strangest and perhaps the most important person I ever encountered. Finn hikes through the wilderness until he hears the sound of wolves howling nearby. He cannot see where they are coming from, but it is clear that he is being hunted. Finn sprints to get away from danger. Eventually, he comes across a strange little house tucked away among the shadows. He runs to the front door. He frantically pounds on the door. It swings open. Standing in the doorway is a beautiful young woman. Hello? The woman's voice comes from her, but her mouth doesn't move. She simply stares at Finn with a blank expression. The emotionless woman spooks Finn, but the sound of the wolf's howl prompts him to enter the home anyway. Finn enters the main living space of the home, then returns his attention to the woman. She robotically turns towards Finn, then takes a few steps forward and stops. He slowly moves towards her to investigate. She remains motionless as he waves his hand in front of her face. Hello! Once again, her voice, 
is muffled and her mouth does not move. Finn jumps back in shock and fear. Finn approaches the woman again and slowly reaches for her hand. He tries to take her pulse. That's when he discovers a seam running from her palm and up her arm. In fact, her entire body is covered with patches of skin meticulously sewn together. Terrified, Finn screams and falls back. A man in his late 50s enters from a back room. He is bearded and unkempt. His clothes are dirty and held together by leather straps and recycled metal parts. He has glasses and wears a top hat decorated with copper pieces and old clock gears. Who's in my home, disturbing my much needed rest? I'll ask you again, boy. Who are you, and what are you doing in my home? Are you a witch, sir? Of course not. Don't be a fool. Here I find you, in the middle of nowhere, with a corpse as a servant girl. And you are so bold as to claim me dim when you so clearly hold dominion over the dead. Certainly there is some sort of black magic at work here. You seem like a well-educated young man. You can't possibly believe in such nonsense. Yes, but I am also a God-fearing man. And I know the devil's work when I see it. She spoke without moving her lips. There is no soul in her eyes. I assure you, dear boy, there are no supernatural forces at work here. Laszlo walks over to the woman and steps behind her. He signals Finn to join him. Look at this. Laszlo opens a metal door on Nora's back, revealing gears and other mechanical mechanisms needed to wind the automaton. Do you see? She is an automaton. Little more than gears and springs. She's basically a giant clock. But how does she speak? An internal phonograph, my dear boy. A device for the mechanical reproduction of sound using vibration recorded onto the surface of rotating cylinders. A going away gift from my dear friend Edison. Laszlo grabs a key from around his neck and puts it into a keyhole on Nora's back. He turns the key to wind her up. As for why her mouth didn't move, she simply needs to be wound up. Laszlo closes the door on Nora's back, walks around to face her. He waves his hands in front of her face. Hello. There. Do you see? But where did you obtain the human skin for this abomination? Human skin. <laughs> it's pig skin. There's not a beast alive that looks more like our own flesh than that of swine. I assure you, I'm no murderer. Tell that to the pigs. Indeed. Well, it has been a pleasure, but if you don't mind, I need to get my rest. I've had quite enough from rude, unwanted visitors for one night. Thank you for stopping by. Please don't return. There's the door. Laszlo gestures towards the door. The pack of wolves can be heard outside the house. Please, sir. Just let me stay the night. By the sounds of it, if you refuse me shelter, I will certainly not see the morning. Very well. 
Come with me. Laszlo leads Finn out to an adjacent room. Finn lays in his bed sleeping. He tosses and turns, trying to fight his way out of a nightmare. I have always been prone to night terrors, ever since I was a child. But nothing compared to the nightmares I had while staying there at that house. Finn wakes up with a gasp. <gasps> he looks around his empty room, and then creeps out to wander the halls, looking for clues to Laszlo's identity. Something about Laszlo seemed familiar. I couldn't get the man or his automatons out of my head. I knew I would be unable to rest until I discovered the truth. The hallway is filled with knickknacks and relics from Laszlo's life, as well as newspaper clippings and illustrations of some of his accomplishments. Finn examines several items and pictures throughout the hallway. Of course. Laszlo Boker, the inventor. It all made sense. No one else could have possibly pulled off those mechanical wonders. There was a time, not too long ago, where you couldn't read a newspaper or walk down the street without hearing about something that was either created or reimagined by Mr. Boker. Then one day, he simply disappeared. No one had seen or heard from him in almost 10 years. Laszlo and Finn sit at the dining room table, eating breakfast directly across from one another. Nora, the automaton, sits in the chair to Laszlo's right. To Laszlo's left sits a second automaton that resembles a young boy between the ages of nine and ten. The next morning, I was determined to get my answers. Finn stares at the second automaton with a puzzled look on his face. Laszlo tries to ignore Finn's annoying curiosity. How's the coffee? Okay. It's clear you have more questions. How does waving your hand trigger the speech mechanism? The internal phonograph is uh, triggered by the interruption of light beams that come into my automatons through their eyes. Laszlo demonstrates, waving his hands in front of the two automatons' faces. Hello? Do you want to play? There. You see? But why? Why make them in the first place? They're my assistants, of course. Assistants that need to be wound up every hour don't seem very effective. Well, you're right about that. Let me stay for a while. I'm a fantastic cook, and by the looks of this place, you could use someone to tidy up as well. And the best part is, you won't ever need to wind me up. I ask for no payment. Only shelter and food for the time I'm here. For the next several weeks, I lived at the house, doing all manner of chores and general maintenance. While my days were full of wonder and discovery, my nights were nothing but terror and unrest. I found myself plagued by nightmares every night. Disturbing and dark images that I was unable to decipher. Finn investigates a dirty, old, empty, subterranean laboratory. At first, all of the tables in the laboratory appear to be bare. Random flashes of light fill the room. Every time the lab illuminates, pieces of scientific equipment appear, then vanish again, 
with the dissipation of the light. Finn hears the sound of Nora crying coming from the large center table. He slowly approaches it. He begins to hear the sound of Istvan crying as well. The closer he gets, the louder Nora and Istvan's sobs become, until finally, Finn reaches the table. Suddenly, there is another flash of light, and for a split second, Finn can see Nora and Istvan lying on the table, bleeding. Nora's head quickly whips around to face Finn. Why would you let us die? Finn wakes up from his nightmare, once again gasping for air. After a moment, he gets up out of bed and leaves the room. There would be no more sleep that night. So I decided to seek out Laszlo for counsel. Perhaps there was some scientific reason for my visions. The door creaks open and he can see lights flickering from within the room. Finn slowly enters the bedroom. The source of the flickering light is a primitive film being projected on the wall by the automaton Nora. She sits on a sofa, perfectly still, while the film projects from one of her eyes. Laszlo sits next to her, watching the film, <laughs> sobbing. I had never seen anything like it. Moving pictures made with light. I was so captivated by the sight. I almost didn't notice what the images were revealing. The images projected are of Nora and Istvan, only they are completely human in the film. The film is very short and plays over and over again in a loop. In the whole movie, we only get a chance to hear Nora say, Hello! And Istvan saying, Do you want to play? They were real. They lived. Laszlo turns to Finn, surprised by his presence. Yes, they lived. They were my everything. My beautiful wife, Nora, and our son, it's fun. They were taken from me. Back then, I spent hours in my workshop just tinkering with whatever I could. I was obsessed with finding the next great discovery. My wife often accused me of loving my work more than her, which course wasn't true. One night I arrived home late to find my house had been burglarized. I frantically searched for my family only to find that I was too late. They had been killed. How could humanity allow this to happen? That's when I decided to leave it all behind. I came here and I built my new family and finally after years of work, I've been able to successfully transfer a small piece of their souls into their new bodies. <laughs> and soon, soon I will truly have my family back. But how? I'll show you. Laszlo leads Finn into his basement laboratory. The laboratory is set up exactly how it was in his nightmare. On the table where Nora and Istvan's bodies were sits two human brains, which are held in large glass jars filled with some kind of fluid. There are electrical wires leading from the brains to other equipment around the lab. This is all that remains of my family. 
I've managed to keep their brains alive, to preserve their souls. By preserving the brain? But of course, where do you suppose the soul of a man resides? If not the brain, then where? Laszlo continues to explain as he moves around the lab, switching on steam engine power technology and lighting Bunsen burners. I've discovered that by sending electrical current through the living brain, it is possible to extract recorded memories from the subject. You see, that's what we were viewing upstairs, a memory. Laszlo steps over to the center table. He takes the end of a wire that is connected to the floating brains and connects it to a small metal box with a turn dial on it. He hands the box to Finn. He then runs over to the other side of the room and turns on what looks to be a primitive radio with an attached hand crank. Laszlo begins to turn the crank. The sound from the video that was playing upstairs blares through the speakers of the primitive radio. Laszlo gestures to Finn, telling him to turn the dial. DC, we are listening to the actual memories plucked from the mind of my dearly departed wife. With every turn of the dial, I can monitor and record another piece of our history. When I finally finish transferring every last memory, I will truly have her back. Finn is speechless. He can't help himself but to continue turning the dial and listening to the various audio memories. <laughs> no, don't. You'll get water everywhere. Esteban, where are you now? Supper is ready. He's your son. He just wants to be with you. Yes, you can drop the delivery here. Laszlo, you're never home. No! Ah! No! No! Why won't you let us die? Finn recognizes the sound from his nightmares. It was Nora and Istvan's painful screams. That's when it all made sense. Suddenly, I understood what my dreams were trying to tell me. Laszlo runs over to switch the dial to a different channel. Forgive me. I can't bear to hear that again. I believe it is the memory of my poor wife's last moment. You're mistaken, sir. That is the sound of your family now, in the present. What you're doing is causing them great pain. You must stop these experiments at once. Don't be absurd. My family is dead. Not yet. You've trapped them in hell. They cannot see nor touch. They don't know where they are, and they're in constant pain. Stop it. Shut up, boy. You must release them. Finn quickly starts to pull wires from the jarred brains and smashing the equipment connected. Stop. They're all I have. Laszlo lunges at Finn, causing him to knock over the center table, smashing the jarred brains to the floor. Laszlo looks at the destroyed brains, then at Finn on his back on the floor. He is overcome with rage. He jumps on the top of Finn and starts to choke him. Laszlo continues to choke Finn. 
Finn tries to force Laszlo off him, but to no avail. Laszlo is about to squeeze the life out of him. They were all I had. Finn, left with no other options, grabs a large glass shard from the shattered jar and reluctantly stabs Laszlo just under the ribs and into his lungs. Laszlo gasps for air as blood pours out of his mouth. He is dead seconds later. 1952. Elderly Finn lays on his deathbed, finishing his story to the priest who sits next to him. When, finally, I left, I set the house ablaze and planned to never return, and I never did. Please, tell me, Father, is there ever a justification to take a life, if not just to save my own? But in an attempt to save two others, I believe if I knew definitively that what I did, I would finally be able to rest. Tell me, Father, am I a monster or a savior? I'm afraid I don't have an answer for you, my son. Every savior is another man's monster. Good and evil is black and white only to God. Unfortunately, it's merely shades of gray to us mortals. All I can say is, I forgive you. As for the Lord, I'm afraid you'll just have to wait and see. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Tattered Tales. This episode was written by Joe Wakefield, narrated by Lily Fisher, starring Heston Mosher as Finn, Jesse Lee Pacheco as Laszlo, Lizzie Wakefield as Nora, Luke Fisher as the priest, and Lily Fisher as Istvan. This episode was produced and recorded at Nagano Press Studios, produced by Joe and Lizzie Wakefield. All sound design by Luke Fisher. Music by Darren Curtis. All rights reserved. Thank you for listening.